0: week we started mark chapter 7 and pastor kelly preached on jesus having yet another encounter with the pharisees the pharisees have been kind of the uh the the opposition to jesus through the gospel of mark and he has this opposition with them he also um in the in mark 7 the disciples don't understand yet another parable that jesus is preaching on and so i have a theory about this next section of mark and i wanted to kind of talk a little bit about it before we show our cool video that we play um And this is my theory, okay? Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. I don't get that. Doesn't compute. How do you have 100% of two things? That's what makes it awesome, okay? So Jesus is 100% man, he's 100% God. But did Jesus potentially get tired here? He's been having a long go of ministry. Does he need a break, I don't know, some people would say so. But he leaves where he was at at the Sea of Galilee and he goes to Tyre, is the very beginning of this passage. And if you look at a map of Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee, Tyre's like not even a part of the Jewish community and it's up on the coast. So is Jesus going to a beachside retreat? I don't know, but he's going to the beach, out of the blue, not a lot of explanation why, um, other than the fact that he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there, okay? So how many of you may say that you're at a point where you need a vacation, you need a break, okay? You need a break. I wanna tell you from the stage this morning, it's okay to rest. It's okay to rest. Jesus um, rests, I think, is looking for rest here, but I also know that God, when he created the world in seven days, the last day, he chose to rest. The all-powerful, almighty God, why does he need to rest? He doesn't need to rest, but he he, he was making an example for us because we need to rest. And so I wanna tell you, work super hard for six days, but then make sure you are getting a break, make sure you are getting a rest, make sure you're getting a Sabbath. I was actually doing my personal devotions this week in in Numbers, and um, there's some pretty cool stories in Numbers if you've never read that book. But in Numbers, um, there's actually a man that is put to death because he doesn't follow the Sabbath. (laughs) So God takes rest seriously, okay? So make sure you are getting rest Wanted to um, say that before we get into the scripture this morning. And so Jesus, out of the blue, is heading to Tyre. Um, Up until this point in Mark, we have seen a pattern of Jesus casting demons out and healing people. And then this scripture is a really interesting scripture. It kind of, the first time I read it, I was like, Kelly, you want me to preach on this scripture? Because this is kind of weird, okay? It's kind of crazy. And I think almost to the point where some some people will say, that this scripture proves the authenticity of the Bible. Why? Because if you're like 12 guys and you're trying to, Trick everybody and make up a book and 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 change the world by like making a religion up. You would not include this part into the, in there. Okay, <laughs> so this is this is one of those parts where you have to look and say, why did they include it? Well, because it happened. Okay, <laughs> so this actually happened. The Bible is actually real. God inspired men to write it. They didn't just make it up. And I think that this is one of those stories where you got to look and say, okay, that is a little interesting. And so um, the more I read into it, the more I looked into it. Though there's a lot of good things and a lot of good takeaways from it. So. Without any further ado, let's watch it. Here we go. I love being able to watch a video representation of what someone thought this story might have looked like. But can I tell you that there is a very different story that you could read here as well, one that is not so PG or G-rated where the girl's just sitting there with their eyes open, you know, kind of staring, glossy. But she's possessed by a demon. That could be PG-13 or R. She could be screaming profanities. She could be rolling on the ground. She could be punching things. She could be bleeding. I don't know, okay? I don't have a clue, but I do know that, that this woman, when we, when we actually look at it, we, we read Mark and, we, and we, we read so many amazing stories of, of Jesus casting demons out, and we read so many stories of, of people getting healed, but we got to really think, what must it have felt like to be this woman who has a, a daughter that she loves so dearly, and then this daughter is demon-possessed? And I can tell you, she probably tried everything she could do to get rid of the demon. She probably tried to like pray to her idols. She probably tried to get holy men to come. She probably, to, probably tried to go to the temple. She probably tried to like use some sort of supplement or tea or some sort of remedy or whatever she could probably think of. But she can't fix it. And so she hears this Jewish rabbi. It's not, she's not even Jewish. She hears this Jewish rabbi is in town. And then she says, I got to get to that guy. Even though he doesn't want anybody to know he's there, I'm going to get to him. And you've got to be thinking, uh, what does this look like uh, for Jesus, and what does this look like for um, the people in the area as well? Not only is this a woman, but this is a non-Jewish woman. And so what did that mean? I'm going to read this uh, part of Keller's book, Jesus is the King. In addition, in Jesus's day, women were also regarded as social outsiders in society and also in religious sphere. Back then, three women's testimonies collectively held as much weight in court as one man's testimony. To be a woman meant social inferiority, religious marginality, and a political inequality. So we've got this non-Jewish woman coming to Jesus. She is pretty much at this state where she has, has, like, given up every hope, probably, except for Jesus. And so she comes to Jesus, and I love in verse 26, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. I think it's interesting that begged is the word that's used here. I don't know when the last time I begged for something was, but think about that. When was the last time you, you begged for something? None of us wake up in the morning and are like, man, I wish I could go begging today. <laughs> okay, none of us want to be in that place where we are, we are so in need that we have to beg for something. Okay, and that's where she was. I want to play a funny clip from one of my favorite movies, What About Bob?, and uh, if, you, if you don't know the movie, Bob um, is, has some illness, some mental illness, and he has seen a, a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist goes on vacation. I thought it was interesting. Jesus, maybe, maybe not, you know, depending on how you look at it, is trying to get away, you know, going to Tyre, and then Bob finds, finds him, and then this is the interaction that happens, and Bob does a little begging here, so let's watch that. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. And I I think sometimes we feel like that when we go to God, don't we? We feel like we're bugging him sometimes. And this morning, I want to tell you that you cannot bug God by praying to him. And uh, a story that kind of comes to my mind as I was thinking about the tenacity of this woman to continue to beg at Jesus' feet when she had no business being there, she kept bugging him and, and, and begging and begging. And one of the story the that kind of comes to my mind is, is, is a story found in Genesis. You can look, look it up in Genesis chapter 32, um, verses 26. It's the story of Jacob. And if you don't know the story of Jacob, it starts where um, Jacob and Esau, and Esau is the older brother and has the birthright, but he gets hungry, and Jacob sells his birthright for the pot of stew. You might remember that story. Jacob later um, moves out of town. He meets a beautiful woman, wants to marry her. He has to work seven years to marry her, and then his father-in-law tricks him, and he marries the sister, and then he has to work seven more years. And so um, we're in the middle of this story, uh, and and it's been 14 years, and now he's going to go home, and his brother that he stole the birthright from is, is coming to meet him. And he's getting kind of scared. <laughs> and so he's got this, this big life crisis, essentially, that's happening. And that night, God appears to him in, in human form, and they wrestle all night, which is just a crazy story to think about in of itself. I mean, could you imagine wrestling God? Okay, so this is, this is where we're coming in. And I, I just want to read this, for just one little excerpt from the story. If you're more curious about the story, I encourage you, go home and read it. Genesis 32, 26, Jacob wrestled with God. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. That's a pretty bold prayer, isn't it? I mean, God, I'm not gonna let you go until you get rid of this addiction that I have. I'm not gonna let you go. I'm gonna continue to pray until I'm physically healed. I'm gonna to continue to pray until my, my son or my daughter who doesn't know you is gonna find you. I'm gonna to continue to pray. I'm gonna to continue to pray. I'm gonna to continue to pray. And a message maybe some, someone needs to hear this morning is that you need to continue to pray. <laughs> Don't, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. You cannot bug God with your prayers. Point number one I have is our relationship with God starts when we have a humble heart and ask him for help. God's not gonna force himself upon you we have to go to him and ask him for help. And I think for some of us, it's, it's just the, the basic prayer of salvation, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need, I need you to save me from my sins. And I need to humble myself and say, I can't do it on my own. I need you to save me. For others of us, I don't know what that could look like, but we have to humbly come before God and ask. Matthew 7:7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. We have to ask. And I love the, the example of this woman who's not only asking, but she is on her knees probably, and she's probably in tears and she's begging, Jesus, I need you to, I need you to, to heal my, my daughter. She's demon possessed. I need you, God. So back, back to our text here, verse 27, Jesus responds. And I think this is interesting. And this is the part that is different than any other story in Mark so far. Up to this point, Jesus has been like, boom, your daughter's healed. Boom, you're healed of your sickness. Boom, this, one is, this response is a little different. Okay, here it is. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? What? I just told you my, my daughter's demon-possessed and I desperately need you and I'm begging for you. And then he says that? One thing I love about about the story is that the way she responds, and we're gonna get to her response here in a little bit, but I'm just gonna throw this in real quick, is that over and over and over again, the disciples listened to parables and they couldn't figure out what they meant. But this woman, here's the parable, and then she has an instant response for it and she's figured out the parable. I don't know if this is biblical evidence that women are smarter than men, but Just saying, the woman figured it out, and the guys are having a problem. Okay, so she figures this out, but what what does it mean? Essentially what Jesus is saying is that first let the Israelites, or the Jews, eat all they want, for it is not right to take the Jews' bread and toss it to the Gentiles, or the non-Jews. And so at first you read this, and you're like, did he just call her a dog? Yes, he did. Jesus called her a dog, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, some, uh, raise your hand if you have a dog, okay? People have dogs, okay? I think that the begging uh, example of, you know, a dog begging at the table going, mm, you know, give me bread and the eyes and blah, blah, you know, that, that, that is, that's definitely something that pops to your mind when you think of the word begging, so I think it kind of goes with the story here a little bit. But dogs during this time period were not, like, really taking care of household pets. They probably didn't have little costumes that they wore. They probably didn't get pedicures. They probably didn't get like $1,000 surgery, but they weren't like cherished and loved. At this point, they were scavengers and they were just kind of scavenge, you know, scavenge, scavengers. And um, and so dogs were, were was a pretty derogatory term. It was kind of a negative thing, but it is interesting when you look at the actual word that Jesus used here. And so let's read a, an excerpt from Keller's book, Jesus is the King. Again, one key to understanding is the very unusual word Jesus uses for dogs here. He uses a diminutive form, a word that really means puppies. Remember the woman is a mother. Jesus is saying to her, you know how families eat. First, the children eat at the table and afterwards their pets eat too. It's not right to violate that order. There's a couple theories here. The first theory is that Jesus was Kind of using sarcasm almost, and he was kind of saying it with a smirk, and he was like, first, let the children eat what they want. I don't know how to do sarcasm, but anyways, so that's one theory is that Jesus is using some sort of sarcasm here, and he's really kind of testing her, um, but the second one is that Jesus was actually saying that the time had not yet come for the Gentiles, and I think there could be a mixture of the two of them in the, in the sense that, that Jesus was saying that, but he was waiting to see what her response was going to be, and, and so... In that, he's saying, I'm, gonna first, I'm, here to serve the, I'm here to serve the Jews. I'm here to fulfill the prophecies. I'm here to be the Messiah. What he doesn't say here is no. He says, maybe later, right? Or later, it will come. And I think so, some of us, maybe we've been praying and we've been wanting to hear a yes, but maybe the, 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 really what God is communicating to you is that maybe you're gonna get what you've been praying for, but it may not be right now. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. is saying, I, I want to give you... This, this blessing, I want to um, heal your daughter, but it, your time has not yet come. But it will. But she, she doesn't get discouraged. And I, I think when, as we look at this woman's response, um, we can't help but just loving how she replies in verse 28, it says, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Let's let that sink in, her response. God, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. A lot of the times we think god why me? Why me? Why am I not? Why was I not born a Jew? Why don't you love me just like the Jews? Haven't don't you know what I've done to get here? Don't you know my story? Why why not now? Why not now? And it becomes about me. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, right like the boy Bob. But I think I think so many times our response is about I, it's about me. It's a, and it's also offense. Take an offense. If if someone called me a dog, I'd probably get offended. Did you know that being offended is actually a sin? I probably offended somebody that I said that offending with someone was a sin right there, okay? <laughs> but yeah, we, have to, we cannot be offended, and she isn't offended here. She, she knows the analogy here, and she doesn't take offense to it, but instead she responds by saying, but can I get the scraps? Can I have the scraps? She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. Instead, she is saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. A lot of times we say, man, you know, if I just were to read my Bible more, if I were to pray more, if I were to love people more, then God would bless me, then he would give me what I want, then he would answer my prayer. How many of you know that God isn't a vending machine where you just put in good works and then you get out what you want? It's not that way. <laughs> but instead of, instead of making our prayer saying, God, you, don't, you know, what can I do to earn this? What can I do to work for this? Instead, what does she say? She says, give me what I don't deserve based on your goodness. But she makes, it, she makes a very point to say, and I want it now. I don't want to wait. And she prays, and she keeps, she, keeps, she keeps asking. So my point number two is this. Don't demand God to do anything for you based on your goodness. But instead, humbly ask God to give you what you don't deserve based on his goodness. Verse 29, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her, children, her child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. My third point is God's love, his table, is so large that there is enough for everyone to eat at the table. I could probably preach a whole sermon. I mean, I could preach multiple sermons on the love of God. The love of God, it is so big. I can't begin, begin to even comprehend how big God's love is for you, I can't. I love, I love the, the lyrics to an old hymn. It says, the love of God is greater far than men or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, it reaches to the lowest hell. And one of, one of the verses in there, it says that if you, if you could fill the ocean with ink, and if the sky was made of paper, to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry. Whoa. Now that's some love. I mean, I, I, I love my wife, and I could write her a love letter, and I could sit down and start penning it, and if I started writing all the things I love about Maggie and love letter, you know, I'd probably make maybe two pages, three pages. I mean, if I was a really cool person, maybe a book. But to drain the ocean dry, of God's love for you. We, can't, we cannot measure, we cannot fathom the, the, the magnitude of God's love. And that's why we, we sing that song, how he loves us, how he loves us. And there's something that's powerful when we say, you know what, God, I need to receive your love. Because sometimes it's hard because we don't even love ourselves. But we gotta say, God, I, why do you love me? Because <laughs> it's not anything I've done, but it's, something, it's, it's what he has done. And because from the very beginning, he has loved you, he has made you, he's created you, he knit you together in your mother's room. He has a plan and he has a purpose for you. He loves you. And there's enough room at God's table for everybody. And even if you're not sitting at the table, the scraps under the table will fill you up. Isn't that cool? I just think that's a cool picture. John 6, through 35, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. If you're hungry today, if you're thirsty for day I mean, not physically, but if you're spiritually saying, you know, what is this life all about? Why am I here? I want to tell you that there is a purpose. And that if you, if you experience the almighty, powerful God, it radically changes you and transforms you. You will never thirst again. So this morning, we're going to have a, a time of response. We're ending fairly early, which is okay, because you guys probably won't get mad at me for ending early. But um, we're going to have a time of response this morning. Um, and there's nothing holy about this altar. Last time I said that when I was here, there's nothing, you know, that we've done. It's just wood and carpet. But what, what happens at the end of a service when we have a time to respond to God, when we can physically take a step forward, it's similar to this woman who goes before Jesus and is begging And so this morning, if you've been maybe feeling a a tug on your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to come up to the front, up to the altar, and, and just spend some time in prayer, spend some time in surrendering to God. But the question I have for you this morning is, what do you need to beg God for? What do you need to beg him for? Maybe it's your own salvation. Maybe it's the salvation of a friend or a family member or a coworker. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction that you've been battling with. Maybe you've been addicted to pornography and nobody knows it and you need to come before God this morning and kneel before him and give, give it to him and say, God, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna wrestle with you until you take it away from me. Maybe it's an addiction with alcohol. I don't know what it could be But I want to give an opportunity for any any reason. We had a a, a good amount of people first service that came down and it was a powerful time of prayer. And so don't miss what God maybe has for you by taking a physical step forward and moving towards him in a physical way um, as as we close today. Let's humbly ask God to give us what we don't deserve based on his goodness. Let's humbly ask God to give us what we don't deserve based on his goodness. today, We can come to the table of the Lord and we can get our fill even if we're just the dogs under it, amen? This is an interesting passage of scripture and some people will will even say that her response changed Jesus's answer. I don't know. I mean, you can get theological about that and you can say, well, can our prayers change? Absolutely, I believe our prayers can change things and her response here, I think, changed Jesus's timeline to heal her daughter. And so we have power when we pray. In the book of Revelation, it actually says that we need to make sure that we pray that Jesus doesn't come back in the, in the winter or when there are pregnant women. And I, think, and I think the reason that he includes that is because he's saying your prayers can change what Jesus what God does. <laughs> and this is, an, I think, an interesting example of that where Jesus' original response was maybe later. And then she says, no, I want it now. And Jesus says, okay. Because my table's big enough for everybody.